Welcome to Feeding Frenzy, a podcast brought to you by the Breastfeeding Resource Center. The BRC is a nonprofit organization in Abington, Pennsylvania. We're here to provide support on various parenting topics to help you get through the roller coaster ride of parenting. I'm your host, Colette Acker. Let's take this journey together. Hello, today we're talking to Susie Veers. She is the owner of She Births Bravely, and she's located in Mercer Island in Washington State. Susie is a birth and postpartum doula, and we'd like to talk about how a doula can impact a person's confidence and birth outcome. So welcome, Susie. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to get to chat about becoming a mom and help people know about the resources that are out there for them. Wonderful. We love resources. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. And again, Louisa is joining us today. Um, why don't you start with the first question, Louisa? Great. So one of the big questions that I think uh, a lot of people need to know is like, what exactly does a birth doula do? Um, and is it just during the birthing process? Is it prenatally, postnatally? What exactly is is entails being a birth doula? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So when people don't have any idea what a doula is, the best way to think about it is a specialist who's also kind of like your BFF. Yeah. Because <laughs> we are the person that we are hired by you. We're not hired by the hospital. We're there with you from the beginning to the end, before and after. We have a lot more time with you one-on-one, -on -one, so we get to know you better. Um, but we're not doing any of the medical things. So when I work with a client, I meet with them twice before they their labor starts. And the first time, we're really trying to understand what are your goals for your birth? What are your fears? Let's talk about how the birth process unfolds and what your choices are so that you know that you can make decisions because if you don't know something's an option, it's not an option. The second time we meet, we're talking about um, education as far as how do you cope with contractions? How do you time a contraction? When do you go to the hospital? Some of the things that you likely learned in a birth course, but that are actually really hard to remember. And when you're getting information from so many different sources, it's kind of hard to pull out and focus on the things that are most important to you. So before birth, we're really trying to make sure you have choices and options and a solid plan, that you know how to communicate them with your team, and then that you're prepared with the skills that will get you through labor. Once a mom goes into labor, that's where the true doulaine role begins where that is we... a verb right doulaing <laughs> yes. i've heard I think it before so. yeah. <laughs> well i find I it so. interesting that you say you know even if they've taken the childbirth class and i think that's part of your packages um mm -hmm. you know they need to hear it twice three times four times i you know i'm always surprised like I taught you that in this prenatal class and right. you, you took out very little, you know, they leave with what, 20% or something. Right. So yeah, 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 it's really important. It's nice that you do those extra meetings. 
And it's really fun, especially when we're there with like a couple, because I'll ask people, well, mom, what did you take from this? Dad, what did you take from this? Mom, what do you need? Dad, what are your strengths? What are the things that you'll think you'll excel at? And sometimes when you're talking through that, you see that, you know, as a couple, they took different things out of the course and they have different ways, different needs and ways to shine. And sometimes you can build some bridges and help people understand um, what their role and what their job is so that everyone can be really successful. Yeah, I think a lot of, I mean, men and women, both mom and dad, uh, both partners don't know what to expect. So I think giving them each like what what's going to happen and what you're, I mean, obviously the birthing parent, we, we know their role is birthing a child, but their partner is like, what do I do? And I think you can really give them an idea and uh, prepare them for what, what will be expected of them and how they best can support. And I guess you talking to them, you might even be able to find what's the best place, you know, for that partner to be? Yeah, yeah, and some partners have a lot have a lot of fear and anxiety about birth. And just like us as as women, partners hit that like fight, flight or freeze when they go into have a stress response to to labor as well. And when they're looking at the person that they love and care for and they see her either in pain or they're not sure if she's okay or not. Yeah. They're going to hit those emotions, right? And so sometimes I think that we have these unrealistic expectations yeah. of partners <laughs> that they're just so. going to show up as a superhuman that knows exactly what we need when they also are doing something new for the very first time. Right. And so I think as a doula, a lot of when I'm first with a family at a birth, a lot of what I'm doing there is just normalizing the process. Like, yes, mom, you are okay. This is how you breathe. Let's go through that now that it's not a conceptual thing that you're thinking about, but that you're actually doing in this moment. And with with um, a lot of partners and dads, you know, when I show up, the worry is often like written all over their face and you can just see the the stress and the love and the desire to that most partners have to like hey I would take this on myself if I could but I can't and I don't know what to do and typically like sometimes all they need is like they see me smile and relax and say oh yeah she's fine she's okay and then they smile and relax and they turn into these like most incredible birth partners but until their their fear is addressed it's really hard for them to show up when they're running through all the like worst case scenarios in their minds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And do both parents come to the two prenatal visits most of the time? Um, For the first prenatal visit, it's about 50-50. I like both parents there because it's good for everybody. It gives such a clear picture of what labor, labor will be like from start to finish. Um. But the second one, I always request both partners to be there because it's such an emotional journey as well as a practical journey. And for us to have a really positive experience, we have to have both the emotional needs and the logistical needs just like on point. So it's helpful if they're both there. So the two prenatal visits and they are usually, are they in the evenings or that can vary? Yeah, for me, it varies a lot. I do a lot of my prenatal meetings in the evenings or on the weekends. 
Um, it's just something that luckily I'm able to do since I, this is my job. And so I don't have like a nine to five that I'm juggling with this. Um, well, also a lot of the times we'll go for coffee for the first meeting where it's more casual yeah. and, um, Personal. The second one, we typically meet in people's homes so that I can find them when they're in labor and I'm not calling them and right, saying, right. the door with the, the wreath or yeah. the one right. with the Christmas tree. Excellent yeah. idea. And so, and then of course, there's the actual birth. Yes. Do you do any yes. home births? Um, personally, yes. Most of my births are in the hospital. I do a few home births where I do let a year and then I also have a bunch of like labor tubs. So for, I do set up like separately labor tubs for people laboring at home. But um, last year, as far as doulaing, I think I did one home birth um, and then a couple birth centers and, and the rest were at the hospital. Okay. And so how, how do you fit that in your life? I mean, you have to be on call like... The old, old bees used to have yeah, to be right. on call. <laughs> yeah. Always, right. Yeah. I mean, that is the biggest struggle is how do you work as as much as you do need to um, and navigate actually being there? I think I've been extremely fortunate where I have always had really good friends who have had my back. So I've always had that child care um, aspect just from from people that are kind of on my team you know yeah, like there yeah. have been times where I'm like okay I have to go pick up my kids in an hour and then I get a call I'm like okay I'm not picking up my kids what's going to happen <laughs> right. and I'll make right. a phone call and I have luckily had people that are willing to care for me so that I can show up and care for my my people I also I have learned I have to cap my calendar at four births a month okay. yeah. so I give a lot of really deep care, but only to a few people, which I wish I could expand and take more, but there's only so much time in the day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I have kids too. And yeah, you know, they have learned that, that we miss holidays and I may or may not be there and I miss gymnastics competitions and, and other ways I get to show up for them, them a ton, but it is, it is a juggle for sure. Yeah. And so when they call you and tell you they're in labor. Do you wait till a certain point? Do you run over immediately? What's, what's, yeah. How does that I work? always tell moms if they to call me as early as they can so that I know. Like if they're at the point where they think they're having like cramps or, um, you know, for some people, most people, the start of labor kind of like a dimmer switch, right? Where you're having some light cramps. A lot of people will call me and tell me things like, I think I'm in labor, but I'm going to Costco or like I'm cleaning the kitchen or so I always say, if you have enough energy and you're still in that, like I'm going to finish a last minute project because that's a great thing to do during early labor, then that's great. We'll meet after that. But on the other hand, if you are the person that's like, oh, I went from zero to a hundred and <laughs> you're just in it, just call. Um, I try to be there within an hour of when people call or when people say they're ready for support. Most of the time, that's well before we're heading into the hospital. So I usually labor with people at home for a while. And then when they hit the like five, con 
um, 511 rule where the contractions are five minutes apart, a minute long, then that way for an hour, then we'll typically head to the hospital. If we're doing birth centers or if they want um, a really low intervention birth, we'll often wait a little bit longer, but most people it's the 511 rule. Great. Well, that's nice that you go right over. So what was the longest birth? Oh my goodness. The longest time I've been with a family is over 40 hours. Wow. Wow. They were, yeah, that wasn't worth the payment. (laughs) You you, you didn't make enough. Um, And so then um, once, let's say they're delivering in a hospital, Mm -hmm. the baby's born, how long do you stay there with them in the hospital setting? Until they go to their postpartum recovery room. Typically that's about an hour or two. That's great. Yeah, that's wonderful. So you get to do the skin to skin, help with latch, all that Mm -hmm. kind of good stuff. Um, Yeah. So, and then you have the postpartum uh, portion of your packages, and they vary depending on the cost. Uh, what's mm-hmm. the what's the least amount that you have? Is it? Yeah. So for every family, I do a minimum of eight hours, and I actually added that after I had been a doula for a while because I found that if most moms kind of come home. And they're in like a newborn cocoon where they're in this weird time warp sensation where they're feeding, changing, sleeping at weird times of the day. Most people have support and things generally transition pretty well. But if they don't, you need support. And also when you get home, it's not necessarily like, okay, if you get home, you get breastfeeding established. What happens a week later or two weeks later or a month later or when your partner is going back to work or when you're going back to work? So I build in those eight hours so that wherever it is in that point of time, you have a phone call where you can say like, hey, I need help right now. Come support me. And for me, that can. I do a lot of food prep. So I'll come say, say in the morning and I'll take over caring for baby Typically, babies still sleep a lot. Um, I'll often wear them, and I'll cook two dinners and, like, muffins or something. So That's for the rest lovely. of the week, there's cooking. <laughs> yeah. And there's, like, a good four-hour chunk of sleep yeah. where, you know, you get rest that day, and then you have a little bit off your plate going forwards. That's so. great. Yeah. And um, and then the, the longest that you offer is 40, I believe, hours, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you usually do like half day increments or? It's usually about four hour chunks. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I really like it. And it's fun. I love the longer packages because you get to see the babies change and grow and the moms change and grow. It's such a, um, it's such a, a shift in identity and responsibilities every time a new family comes a new baby comes into a family so it's just so rewarding to get to be there from you know when it's a early on thought you know or like you know we're we're baking the bun in the oven too like wow here's this baby like growing and yeah I'm sure they feel confident in you and trust you and you know you've already developed this relationship which is lovely yeah so how'd you get into all this (laughs) (laughs) Well, I actually worked in finance and my degree is in economics. So it is a a far cry from what I am, was 
would ever have imagined I would do. My, I have two daughters and I had a, a molar pregnancy before my first, um, which if you've never heard of that, it's it's a, a, a pregnancy that's not viable and has a lot of health complications with it. So after my first pregnancy, not my first birth, I had about a year of like having to do blood tests. And so I had a lot of fear and anxiety and worry when I went into my first daughter's birth and I also worked full time. I was working those 50 hour weeks. I was just like, you know, just doing it all busy, right? And I loved what I did. I loved my team and I was happy working, but I didn't necessarily have the thought to put the intention and preparation into birth. Like I just, I didn't know enough to even respect the process or what it would take or what it would mean yeah. to go through that life transition. And it was a bumpy road for sure. My my journey with Zoe was overwhelming and scary. She was an emergency C-section um, and I came in with a lot of fear. So it was like, to me, birth equaled fear. After she was, after Zoe was born, I was part of a mom's group, a hike a baby. We'd go hiking every week. And one of the friends that I met there was a midwifery student. And so we became really good friends. And all of her stories revolved around the families that she was working with and serving. And I just really began to feel like I had missed, you know, like if you're on a hike and you spend the whole time where you're looking at your feet, you're in this gorgeous, amazing place and you don't appreciate a second of it because all you're seeing is like your feet taking one step in front yeah. of the other. I walk with a but, guy like that every morning. It's my husband. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my friend, she was the one that first made me realize like, hey, this moment of birth is like this incredible moment. You need to plant your feet somewhere and look around you because you're meeting the person you love. It's this incredible moment where you can build trust and memories and strength in your relationship. And it is a demanding time. So if you're trying to, like me, my first time, ignore those demands or the needs of pregnancy and the needs that you have in that life transition it's not like they're going to just disappear or go away, right? They, they exist. We have to acknowledge them. And so when I had my second daughter, Hazel, it was a very transformational time for me where I was very intentional, intentional about my prep. Um, I had moved again. So I had a new midwife who just took so much time, the relationship that she took to the time to build with me, like she helped me dive into those fears and explore every aspect I needed to become comfortable with giving birth, which for me to find a sense of safety in birth was a really big deal because I had so much trauma in it before. And then my doula also just, I mean, I remember the first, when I was interviewing doulas and when I interviewed her, I was like sitting on the couch and she was like, tell me your story. And I just remember as she was like asking me questions about my story, I'm like literally bawling going through all these questions. And for the first time I felt like, okay, somebody understands me and knows right. me and has my back. Yeah. And she like was so great through my birth. 
And so after I had Hazel about six months later, I was like, okay, I've got this. I'm going to go do my doula training and I've been doing it ever since. So I really love it. It's very meaningful to me. And it's, I think, the most rewarding job that exists on the planet. So I feel very fortunate to get to do what I do. Yeah, yeah it's that's wonderful. We feel similarly yeah. about loving, our line of work. Our job is just something that I always say to people like, not everyone's lucky enough. Like, I don't go, oh, I got to go to work today. I truly don't. And not just because she's my boss. I don't say that. You know, truly, like, I don't ever, like, bitch and moan that, man, I got to go to work tomorrow. Because I work with these amazing families and these little babies. And I just I, I just can't complain at all. And it's so hard to find a job like that, I think. So we feel yeah. you on that. We feel you. Yeah. Um, and I'm... I'm sorry about your first pregnancy. That sounds terrifying. And I I believe, like, the majority of us are fearful of our first pregnancy, yeah. I find. Yeah. Um, it, it's terrifying. And, you know, part of that is the media. And part of that is you're hearing other people's stories. And people love to embellish their horror stories. Right, but, yeah. Um, you know, it took me to my third child to me to get the birth that I was looking for. And, you know, um, it, mm-hmm. it was and how empowering that was when it happened. And so I think you're a vital force for that. And are most of the people you work with, is it their first babies or are some mole tips? Um, I have a good, a good range of first time moms, second time moms. Um, I'm at the point in my career where I get to do repeat clients now. So that's extraordinarily rewarding. Um, Yeah, especially I feel like a lot of VBAC moms look out for support. And I think if you've had a doula at one birth, most people want a doula again. So they're like, I've worked with a lot of people that were like, oh, we moved. I couldn't hire my doula. I left her, but we want somebody again. Um, I think that that's a pretty common for for the second time moms I work with. It's usually because they worked with someone with their first pregnancy and it was so great and they want it again. And so um, how far is your reach? Is it like mile wise? How do you figure that part out? Yeah. Well, in Seattle, there are a lot of hospitals and I live very centrally to them. So I will go about an 45 minutes to an hour in either direction. But I mean, there's about eight, nine hospitals within that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I see. I I looked up where you lived. And (laughs) as I was researching for our podcast, is there a a bridge? There is. Yeah. So I'm on an island between Seattle and Bellevue. And right between there's like Washington and there's Mercer Island in the middle of lake, the lake. That's and so cool. there's a bridge on either end. So okay. I'm 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes to like central downtown Seattle okay. and 10 to 15 minutes to central downtown Bellevue. Oh, that's good. So I didn't know if you had to like get yeah. on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, there's no ferries. There's just yeah. I-90, that like interstate highway, hop right on it and off we yeah. go. Awesome. Yeah. So one of my questions is when you're in the hospital setting, how was the relationship with the staff who, you know, I know labor and delivery nurses, 
many feel strongly that that's their role to support the parent. So are you welcomed? Is it awkward sometimes? No, I would say in Seattle, we have incredible relationships at the hospital. It's very collaborative. And I feel like there's very little like stepping on toes and very little, um, you know, there's not any animosity because the, the goal is that we all want a mom and baby to be healthy. And as a doula, it's not my job to make your medical decisions. And I'm not magic. I cannot make difficulties that are sometimes inherent in the childbirth process go away. What my job is to do, though, is to make sure that you, as a mom, have the right information so that you can make educated decisions, which means sometimes slowing down decisions, helping people ask the right questions, and making sure you have time to make like a heart-centered decision, which is something that I think most care providers really appreciate. Because if you work in the medical field and you have, I think this is a great story to illustrate it. One time I was with a, a mom, she's pushing, she's delivering her baby. It's taking some time. The OB is there to catch the baby. While the OB is catching the baby, the OB admits someone in through the emergency room, prescribes medication to somebody in another room, remembering, remembering an allergy that they have. And she did something else for somebody else. I can't remember what it was. So when you're thinking about like, okay, you're trying to, there's just, there's so much overwhelm in a hospital. There's not enough people. There are days when it's crazy busy. And there's also like, if we're in a conversation about, okay, so a labor has stalled, what are the options? If there's a doula there, you can have a great conversation where the the OB can say, well, when I did the check, I thought the baby was in this like posterior position. And then I can say, okay, if a baby's in a posterior position, my thinking is we should do these three moves, see if we can get the baby to move. And then if that doesn't work, we'll check back in in an hour and you can come back and recommend the Pitocin. So it gives a mom the chance to do the the most natural things first without taking away the the doctor's ability to care. Um, My favorite question is, can we check back in an hour? Because I feel like OBs make recommendations because they care about you and they want your birth to resolve and they want it to resolve with a healthy and happy baby in your arms. And sometimes if you've worked in birth a really long time, you forget that that that's like, if you've ever seen a birth not end that way, you will do anything in your power to make sure it doesn't, even if that means you kind of go through a more difficult childbirth. So I think a lot of times this like tension between OBs and, and people wanting natural births is like lack of communication and understanding. And as a doula, I can make sure that OB is heard and gets her needs met and that the patient is heard and gets her needs met and then build a bridge And often that is like, okay, let's wait an extra hour and we can keep punting it down the road. And in a lot of cases, we can punt it down the road enough to you have your baby and you never have to make that decision. And other times we punt it down to an hour and we do that check-in meeting and we're like, okay, well, we tried the natural things. Things are still escalating. This baby is still not happy. Like we need to take the next medical step 
but because you had that conversation, it's not something forced on you. It's not right. I, right. I you had the chance, you know, like, so it's all about collaboration and, um, working together. And I feel like when I come into a birth, because I think a lot of people have doulas here and the doulas here have worked really hard to build good relationships that there's very little tension. Um, a lot of people hire me because they say like, oh, my OB said you need a doula. So that's amazing. That's amazing. We're not hearing you. We're on the East Coast. You are on the West Coast. West Coast. Yeah. No, we're not hearing that. We're going, oh, there's a doula, I think, sometimes. There's an eye roll. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, I I hope that will change. I hope that will change and the outcomes will improve and the relationships will grow. Um, It takes time and effort. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just talking to you, the way you handle that situation or that story tells me that you're good at what you do. Yeah. Um, Because you have to know how to work it. And, you know, were you ever in a in a situation where you didn't understand medically what was happening happening? Um, I think I've always been really good at asking questions because that was a skill I had to learn in my in my second when I had Hazel, I became really good at asking the questions. And my midwife taught me like one of the things she really taught me was how to look at like when I'm making decisions, it's baby green, yellow, or red. And how do we like, green is kind of actually a small area in birth. Red is a pretty small area. That yellow space is huge. And so I think I came in as a doula with some, with the the knowledge that red exists because some people pretend that it doesn't, especially, you know, people that have, if you've only like, given birth to your own children and you were fortunate enough that you always stayed in the green can be really hard to acknowledge that that's not the story for everybody. Um, Yeah. But there are times where like I've had to ask questions and I was asking questions, especially early on. I feel at this point I've been to over 200 births and I'm like, there's very little I haven't seen, but um, the ability to ask questions is what's important because if you can get the right information and if you can have good conversations that's when people can feel good about the decisions they're making even if they're in a situation that they never wanted to be in in the first place right right that's so true like you said earlier like what you don't know you don't know so as a as the parent you don't really know and you have this knowledge of being at previous births that you can kind of ask the right questions i think as a parent we don't always know what question to ask so it's just kind of deferred to okay, we're going to induce. Okay. No question asked. That's what they said to do. So that's what we're going to do. And I think you have the right question. You have the the knowledge to ask the question of like, well, kind of stepping in for the mom. And I think that's the the really most important part of a lot of this is being that, that in-between person. Yeah. 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 And I think a good story to illustrate that you were asking me about like, what's the longest birth I've ever attended? And it was really long. And that mom actually, one of the reasons she hired a doula was because her mom had long births and she was worried about being on a clock. And so it did come up in her birth multiple times, like, hey, we should push this along. Hey, you know, you're just not progressing fast enough. I think we should like that, that surgical recommendation came in many, many times. And we used that strategy of let's check in in an hour. 
And we ultimately were able to get through her entire birth. But, you know, we were able to keep going because we were able to keep staying in conversation with her care provider. Because if you're not in conversation, then it becomes somebody's going to make a choice. And the choice that I don't ever want a mom to be in is the choice, if you want your decision, you have to get up and leave the hospital. Or the OB feeling like their choice is, they're going to make a, a decision for you to have a surgery and you don't get a say. Right. And I, both people are kind of at risk to falling into those categories if you leave the conversation. But if you can stay in conversation and you can come back to this place of, we'll check again in an hour, then you can keep, typically you can keep going. And I found that with most providers, as long as they can say what they need to say and as long as you understand their concerns and as long as you're acknowledging them and you're making decisions from this place that things are okay you can keep going and in this mom's case we went through that whole 40-hour labor and she had her baby vaginally and peacefully in the way she wanted but i will say there have been other times where we check back in an hour and you know maybe a fetal heart rate um baby's having d-cells and that's something that like I can't change, but I can ask questions. Okay, what are the things you're looking at at these D-cells? Are they early? Are they late? Are they significant? Are they having accelerations? Um, so if you get start getting into the details, I feel that m- most, it's in the conversation that there's power to make a decision and move right. forwards in either direction. Yeah, that's wonderful. So what is um, doula training like? Oh, certainly not enough. (laughs) I, my training was mainly, I read about 10 books. I had to observe some births and um, I had to attend births and, and have people write, evaluate me. Um, it, It was good. It was helpful. It gave me a good framework, I think, to get started. I think that I have been very fortunate that I have had good mentors because I feel like my training and I think that you know when I talk to nurses I feel like nurses feel the same way that their training wasn't enough because you get thrown into situations where you could never plan for like I have been in an OR with a mom and had anesthesiologists throw the little like sucking things in my hands and say if she throws up don't let her choke. And I'm like, I've never, I'm not a dentist. I've never, you know, done this before, but you know, in that situation, there was a lot going on. She's having reactions to the medicine. It was like all hands on deck. So you do the best you can. Um, Like you couldn't learn that in a training and you just, you learn after, right? Um, So I think experience matters. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I feel sorry for those poor women I helped 20 years ago. <laughs> I, know. I know. Me yeah. too. I think about all the moms that trusted me in my first year and I just have so much gratitude that they took a chance on me when I was so rough, you know? Yeah. yeah. So um, now I'm, that's what I was going to say. Uh, oh, the training. There's something about the training. Oh, I remember 
it was back in 2014, I was training nurses in the hospital setting about skin to skin after delivery. So I was hanging out in labor and delivery and I'd never worked in labor and delivery. And I, the first few births, I was like, whoo, this is, wow. <laughs> this is really intense. And I was yeah. fearful at some point that something was wrong and it wasn't, and you know, and everything was working out. And, uh, but I was like, wow, that was, that's a pretty stressful situation. Um, so how do you evolve and start to feel more confident and more comfortable? Is it just experience? Or did you do more training after you became certified? Yeah, yeah. I think I will say I I certified with Birth Arts International and I feel like they gave me a very strong foundation to go in and be a beginner, right? Because you have to start, you can't start anything as an expert. You have to be right. a beginner, which for me is very frustrating because I always, you know, I always want to be at that next level. Um, I think... I have done more trainings. I've done spinning babies, optimal maternal positioning, um, nutritional training. I feel like I'm just am in a, I'm naturally the type of person that likes to learn. So I do read a lot and I do more trainings. I also um my my education was in economics and statistics, so I love being in medical journals and looking at like the numbers behind yeah, everything. Yeah. And so You're such I a do. Dork. Like, <laughs> I know, I know. I'm like the biggest nerd. Like, yeah, I love it. Great. We love it. When dork. I was in finance, I was very happy with numbers. <laughs> you know, I could very happily live in, in that world. Well, Susie, uh, it's the end of the year for a nonprofit. Guess what <laughs> I get to do in January? Annual statistics. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite yeah. month. <laughs> um yeah I think I think you just pick up mentors as you go right sometimes you might be in a hospital and you work with a really great midwife or a doctor and you get the chance to like step outside and you have a great chat and they tell you they give you some feedback and sometimes it's great and sometimes you're like oh okay I can I'll do better next time and same like I go out to lunch pretty regularly with fellow doulas and we talk back and forth and we talk about the difficult situations we're in and the great situations and how do you like how do we change our packages to reflect the needs I remember when I was a new doula I would go and act labor and wow. leave right away right like now I'm like okay now sometimes I'm with people like hours and hours before and hours and hours after and I go as soon as they're in labor like things change as you understand more what your needs are and what you can bring to the table and where you can help. Right, right. Yeah. And that's the one thing I always say I love about our office is because we have, how many in the office now? Five Five, lactation consultants. So at lunch, they're talking business, you know, Uh, and it's so nice to have, you know, people. sounding board and. Yeah. Especially when you're new, you know starting out and you're like, I know what I'm doing. And then you start talking and thinking and you can kind of bounce it off someone like, is this what you would have done? You know, just to nine times out of 10, we were right. But sometimes you just think just other people have different experiences or more experience. um, And they do offer so much more to the conversation. And I think when I started as a new lactation consultant, that was the best part of it was being around people who had done this before me and I learned so much 
At lunch. <laughs> At lunch, yeah. Yeah, it really is from like the people that are willing to share their experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We I learn a, a lot too from nurses. I mean, oh, yeah. I, yeah, there's a lot of nurses are so skilled and cared so much and care so much about their patients. And, you know, you'll sometimes, if you're in a really difficult situation, you'll get the nurse that they, they're like their expertise nurse that they'll pull in. And then if you can like catch her after and, and learn from her, that's great. Yeah, that is great. And I'm sure that they're thankful that you're there because I think you probably make their job go a little easier. Probably. Yeah. yeah, I hope so. I mean, they have so much on their plate. It's insane how much responsibility a nurse has. I mean, between monitoring and charting and yeah. being the one to relay information up the chain and I mean, and they're supposed they're to be sitting there at your bedside. You can't do it all. You know, it's really right. difficult. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a lot on their plates. Um, yeah. We have a group, I'll put a plug in for perinatal partners. Yes. So it's yeah. a group that was pulled together in our area. And we have doulas and we have lactation consultants and we have mental health uh, providers, just like anybody who may touch base with a woman new family, yeah. Um, yeah or new family um they've pulled into this group and they have regular meetings and and that's great because you just there's so many resources you don't know about even yeah like, we've been in the community for a super long time we're like oh that's new Dude, to yeah, us you very know much so, yeah. so um that, that's great that you collaborate with others um what about breastfeeding yeah there's a quick question <laughs> Yeah. That's our thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what what do you want to ask me about breastfeeding? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what do you do to You guys are the experts there. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do for a you know, a couple who is hoping to breastfeed or wants to breastfeed their mm -hmm. child? Yeah, yeah. So I have some basic training on breastfeeding and I've helped a lot of moms with it, but I also rely heavily on on my referrals to lactation consultants, um, especially if things get more tricky. A couple things that, one thing that I notice with a lot of my moms that want to breastfeed is that the very frustrating thing with breastfeeding is that there's a lot of trust and faith in the process where you're trusting your baby's getting colostrum and milk. And I think one thing that I've started to do just this year is I will show moms how to express milk before they have their baby, yeah. because I think that if they go into birth knowing like, okay, I've collected this little vial of, of colostrum and it doesn't have to be much, but if you've seen it and you know it's there and you know, like, you okay, it, my right? baby's tummy is so little and I can see that I can make that much, the the part that you're relying mostly on faith and what you can't see, because if your baby is eating, you can't necessarily... I mean, I could never feel like the milk leaving my breast. And yeah. I think yeah. some people say they can, but I like most people can't, right? And so you really are like you're hoping that this whole process is working and there's a lot of faith. I feel like when people do the the milk expression before, that a lot of the the comfort factor of knowing how to get the milk out of your breast, a lot of that changes so it's an easier transition and you just know that it's there which is helpful yeah, I think that's also it helps it. prep your cervix for labor yeah. so it's really 
It's a win-win. Really good nonsense, too. Yeah. And of those of you who hadn't heard of antenatal hand expression, uh, we do have an episode in uh, from last year, in 2023, with Gail Heron and OBGYN. Uh, we did a study together on antenatal hand expression. So if you want to learn more about it, you can scroll back to that one. But it, I love it. Um, I think teaching hand expression in a hospital setting is so important if they don't already know it. And I, my goal, never going to happen, <laughs> my goal. My dream um, is that everyone learns how to do hand expression and they do it after each feeding. Feedback a few drops. We would have less problems with hypoglycemia, less problems with jaundice. People would believe they have milk. People would be more comfortable touching their bodies. It would be good. Yeah. <laughs> I think, like you said, just having some tangible milk because everyone's like, I don't have milk, you know, and that's all they, that's all they hear. They don't feel it. Like you were saying, right. but when you express it and you see it, it's just quantifiable. And you're like, oh, I have milk. And it, I think it just lessens that anxiety anxiety of like, do I, one, do I have it? And two, can my baby get it? So even if we just take off the, I have the milk part of that anxiety, um, it makes us feel a little bit better when we do get our baby to the breast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I don't know, I would actually love to know your thoughts on this, but I often will have moms like prep and save if they've expressed any colostrum before birth. Um, and that way they can bring it with them to the hospital. If baby does need any supplementation yeah. for any reason, they have their own milk. And if baby doesn't, sometime in that first week when I always tell people when you get to the point where you're like exhausted and you can't sleep and you're like I just can't I need like a five hour sleep not a two hour sleep or three hours sleep use the colostrum give it to your partner and you go take your five hour sleep so you don't collapse like it's okay to do once um I think that for some moms you really like if you do hit a wall in that postpartum one day of sleep can be like life changing. Yeah. Yeah. But the only problem, like if that was me, I would have had mastitis when I woke up. Right. I yeah. was making yeah. mass quantities of milk. So <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't, I, my breasts would be start aching, wake waking wake me up, up at yeah. three hours before the baby, even if the baby didn't care. Um, yeah. I mean, every once in a blue moon, that's fine. That's not going to impact milk supply that greatly. Um, if she takes a little snooze. Um, and gives the expressed milk instead. Yeah, I love it. And then, um, so you said you have resources for lactation consultants in your area. So besides mm-hmm. letting mom nap, prepping a meal, what else do you do in the postpartum period for them? <laughs> Whatever people need, really. The, for me, postpartum is all about healing and bonding, recovery, and then transitioning back into however you want life to look now. Um, and for for different moms, that looks different because some people, and some people have a lot of different support. You know, like I will have some families where they will have parents that come and stay with them for a month and take care of everything. And then after that, they're like, okay. Now what do I do? I have this like incredible like time of healing but I literally don't know what to do now. And so for some people, it's just helping them learn the basics of like, this is how you swaddle and this is how you 
put your baby down. And this is like how you structure your day a little bit. Um, and other people, it's having somebody to talk to and re, um, I think one really important thing to do in the postpartum is to talk through your birth story mm -hmm. because even if everything went exactly how you wanted it, some there, it is still possible for there to be trauma or moments of confusion or like, I was so focused in this. I didn't know what else was going on. Can you tell me like what happened? It's, it's crazy how our brain works during labor. Yeah. And if things didn't go exactly how you planned, or, you know, if you had more challenges in your story to be able to talk about it later is really important. Um, We've tried so many times because I did it years ago. Tell your birth story groups. It mm -hmm. just never took off. But you sit in a consult with the mom and it's, I won't tell it all. I went into labor at 114 and then this <laughs> happened at 614 and then this, like, and it's like 20 minutes in and I'm like, did you have the baby yet? Like, people want to talk about it. I Listen, I, my kids are old and I could tell you every birth story there was. And I would mm -hmm. be fine telling you because it was an amazing opportunity. Um, but I guess with you, if you were there at the birth, you kind of have another another view that that neither the mom nor their partner even had, you know, which I think is a really unique thing to have. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's normal to feel very vulnerable about sharing birth stories because there is you know, different people approach birth differently. And sometimes there are judgments that shouldn't be there that are maybe insinuated or maybe that we're kind of feeling towards ourselves. And we need to find safe spaces to work through those. And you have to build trust with somebody before you can go into that. And so I think it's, it's wise for people to be careful about how and when and where they share their stories, especially when they're still feeling the emotions about it. Yeah. I I mean, it's the same with breastfeeding and formula mm -hmm. feeding and supplementing. Um, and we often get that as, you know, um, a survey response, you know, would be like, I thought they were going to yell at me for, because right. I was giving my baby supplements of formula. Like, <laughs> we would never yell at you, number right. one, for right. any reason whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's so funny what people are worried about that they're afraid of being judged. And um, mm -hmm. and the birth story is super special. I think I wore mine out because it's a tradition in our family <laughs> that you we, I tell your birth story uh, before I put you to bed on your birthday. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's beautiful. <laughs> I don't do it anymore because they don't live with me anymore. But <laughs> Just show I, up at their house. I should call them up. Can I tell you your birth story? <laughs> yeah, my kids' birthdays are coming up. I'm gonna. They live with me, so I'm oh, gonna there you do go. it. That'll punish them. Yeah, <laughs> at that age. <laughs> um, so another question. Um, how how did doulaing go during the pandemic? Did you have to stop? No, all of our hospitals allowed doulas yeah. all the way through the pandemic. We so we had rules like we couldn't leave the room once we were there. Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, they, the weird thing is, you know, you don't work for the hospital. So they don't usually like check your certification when you say, oh, I'm a doula and I'm here for so-and-so. But during the pandemic, they would and you'd have to like wear a mask and, you know, all the, all the precautions. But, um, 
I didn't miss any births. I think there was one hospital that did, but I didn't, fortunately didn't have any families there. So. Wow. That's great. Uh, it took us a while to get the doulas back into well, our hospitals. Yeah, there were points where partners weren't allowed yeah. in for the birth. Very yeah. short time. Wow. Yeah. But there was. Yeah. Time where we never had allowed. that here. Yeah. yeah. It was, that was horrible, but I'm glad I, it, it seems to me on the West coast, they appreciate <laughs> doulas more than they yeah. do over here. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, I think we're kind of the birthplace of doulas. Like, if you think about, like, Penny Simkin and um, some of the people that were, like, part of the movement to make doula, doulas a career, that was here in Seattle. She, mm. Penny, still teaches childbirth classes here. I, I got to um, proctor her classes when I was in my training. So that's cool. I think that's kind sure. of, we've had we've had longer for everything to seep and come together. So it's just a matter of time everywhere else. Yeah, yeah. So you're a doula nerd, like we're lactation nerds when we see <laughs> the first people. We're lactation nerds. <laughs> Very excited. Yes. <laughs> so cool. Um, and finally, I was ta- looking at your packages. So they're anywhere from 2400 to 4800 And I'll be honest with you, what, when you talk about the amount of time you spend, I'm thinking these people are getting a good deal. Right. Very much so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I plan to be with a fam, a first-time mom for about 20 hours for a labor, and it doesn't always work out that way, but if I have a mom that does, like, a precipitous birth or, you know, something where you switch to an emergency or an elective C-section right at the beginning, then we'll bump into, like, a bigger postpartum package, Um, but it is an investment, but it is also a lot of time and we do a lot of good work together and it, I hope, um, it, I, I feel like as I've, as I've gone through my career and I've seen the different journeys moms take, I feel like when I work with people now versus when I worked with people four years ago, when I started that the journeys are much more in general, even, you know, not as many like low lows and high highs and and even when you reach those points of of difficulty that sometimes get thrown on the path of it the point is you have support through it and space to heal and process and all of that as well so that's a question that i i wanted to ask you that i forgot about during labor are there like some common obstacles that you run into often that you you feel like I've got this on how to support her. I know what to do. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think it really depends on how the birth is unfolding because some people need a lot of knowledge and, you know, I guess I'll kind of split it like this because we're, we are in Seattle and we're a very technology loving area. So I would say there's a big split between the people that are very naturally minded and want a natural birth and the people that are very technology minded and don't mind things like that prefer like, oh, yeah, I would rather go through an induction, even though I know it will be a more medical route because I'm comfortable in that more medical route. So I think for people that are doing more like natural births, the things that I do a lot are going to be a lot of the comfort techniques, reminded, reminding people how to breathe and encouraging them to walk and move and making sure they're taking care of themselves and their partners are taking care of themselves through the labor process and just doing some basic advocacy of like reminding the staff, you know, like 
oh, we're doing a natural birth. No, let's not talk about the epidural yet. Yeah, like, right. you know, just kind of protecting their plan that way. I feel like the people that are on the like, hey, sign me up for the induction. I'm ready to meet my baby type route. It's actually much more complicated or if people are kind of stuck in between. Like if you're lean natural, but you like have preeclampsia and you're in a place where you have to do an induction right. because you don't want to, you know, like it's a pretty big deal yeah. if if you don't, right? Like those risks can be quite high. Right. Um, I think then it comes down to like helping people ask really good questions, understand how people, helping people understand the different ways that things can unfold after a choice and then helping people um, find a place of, of peace within the anxiety. Because if you're doing an induction, it's kind of like being at the airport where you're doing a lot of sitting around and waiting and doing absolutely nothing. And then you'll have this quick moment where it's like, okay, you got to get up, you get on the plane, everything moves and changes really quickly. And then you're in a new place completely. And you might be back in like this really boring, like wait forever phase. Mm -hmm. Right. right? And that's just kind of how inductions are. It's like, you make a lot of choices. There's a lot of waiting. When things move, they usually move fast or change fast. And then you go back to like, waiting, you yeah. know, and you just kind of go through that cycle a few times through the birth. So it becomes like normalizing things, making sure that that downtime is positive, because if you're stewing in, in anxiety for those four hours between when the doctor checked on you the first time and they're coming back to check on you again, you know, anxiety can affect the birth process and so we need to make sure that we're like on the emotional side doing what everything we can to to make sure that that's not spiraling out of control yeah right your anxiety is not going to help her like dilate right yeah 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 i think that's such a wonderful thing to have with you because it, it can be so stressful or even if you, you decide i really want an unmedicated birth but then things happen, things are thrown in, and women are beating themselves up if it doesn't go as planned. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, having a doula there with you can really help to understand why you're making certain decisions or why, you know, things had to be that way and it's not your fault, like, before it really gets yeah. you down the road. Right. Yeah. Well, I and I think there's, like, it's really tricky because... If you have, if you're educated really well in a natural birth, you have really great skills to get you through a natural birth. But the same, the same things don't necessarily translate into a medicalized birth. Right. So, right. and it can be really confusing too. Like, you know, I think about when a lot of moms, like once they start Pitocin, Pitocin is so much different than a, a natural contraction. So, like if you see somebody and they're shaking and they feel like they're going to vomit and they're having the urge to push, if you see that at like a natural birth, you're like, you can pretty reliably say these are all the signs that someone is getting really close to 10 centimeters and they're going to, you know, make that leap into like the more stable pushing area soon. But if someone's doing a medical induction and they're trying not to go within 
epidural because that's their values and you're seeing all those things I've seen that at two centimeters yeah and so you're like okay so all the signposts of the natural labor are gone because you've messed them up with the induction with the induction but if this is a necessary induction because the other choice is something very difficult or traumatic could happen to you and your family you know so you need a different set of skills to to thrive through through a medicalized birth yeah. and that's a whole emotional process as well like letting go of the birth plan changing the birth plan making decisions for who you are and what life gave you and what you need in the moment and then and, you have the opportunity to discuss that with them prenatally yeah yeah and that's why we do like we talk through the birth plan so in depth because i need to know what's important to you so that if you're in that situation I can help you ask for what you need or I can help you accept what you need. Right. 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 Because those are very, very different things. If, yeah. if you're having every sign of being in transition at two centimeters, continuing a birth without an epidural is no longer really a choice. And if I can advocate, well, I may be able to get the nurse to turn out down the Pitocin so you can get to a place where you can make that decision from a calm and centered place, but I also may not because the situation may not allow it, right? Like I've been in that situation too, which is one that makes me actually really angry because I think that that's a fundamental right that we should be able to say, I want the Pitocin turned off so that I can make a decision of how to proceed from like not being in intense pain. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm not ultimately the decision. That's one of the few few times with Pitocin where like we need to talk about that early and we need to talk about it often. And I always talk now in those prenatal meetings with people who are doing, if someone tells me they're doing an induction, we'll do like another meeting to talk about it. And that's one of the things we talk about is if you don't want an epidural or you're trying to delay an epidural, you need to have your your doctor write in your chart that you can ask for the Pitocin turned off and that 100% needs to be honored okay. so that you can make a decision from a place of feeling, you know, where you're not in pain, right? Because you might objectively think like, okay, here's the situation. I can't have enough contractions to get my labor progressing without the Pitocin because that happens in an induction. Your body's not doing it on its own. Yep. So we need the Pitocin to move forwards, but what do I need to be able to do that safely, right? And being in transition for 20 hours of a labor is mm -hmm. not safe for a mom. Yeah. It's just not. And so, so I had one epidural. That was when I got yeah. induced. <laughs> yeah, right. I couldn't, yeah. couldn't do it. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. But there are so many things after an epidural that we can do to, um, like, I think a lot of moms worry about, like, tearing and pushing and the end of labor and a lot of their fears about epidurals are like this cascade of intervention and there's a lot of things that we can do to to reduce the risk for that cascade and a lot of that is communication a lot of that is continuing movements a lot of that is positioning and then when you are getting to the end of labor most moms will actually have a pretty strong urge to push with an epidural if, mm -hmm. if they've had enough time and they're getting, they're paying attention, right? Like that awareness will grow 
if you're paying attention to it and you're feeling the pressure. So um, when I was new, pushing with an epidural was something that really I did see like, oh, this is a time where like, yeah, that that story seemed that cascade of intervention story seems quite probable. And now I don't feel that way because I have different skills and knowledge tools. and more tools yeah. to use in that period. So it's wonderful. I try to have moms feel confident about that. Um, so you said you had to observe some births uh, for your training. Did you have to be with another doula? No, I just had to be evaluated. So I went, I would go to births. Um, I, I don't know what the right word is, kind of like proctoring, like, yes, I'll be your doula, but I am like in my training. Right. So I'm going to, like, I'm not charging you, you fill out this labor evaluation form. Um, I did evaluate a couple. I did get to work with the doulas one-on-one early on in my career, which I don't think every doula does. Um, just because my doula that had been so influential in my story helped me a lot when I started. And then I was also like setting up the labor tub. So I would go set up a tub and then I would often ask like, can I stay and observe (laughs) or, you know, and sometimes people would say yes. I'd be like, yes. (laughs) So I did get some like opportunities that I think partially I created for myself and partially I was just like, I wanted the experience. And so I was willing to ask and people, those people that said, yes, I'm so grateful too, because I learned, I learned a lot, especially at the home births. I think I wish everybody that worked in the, in a hospital had to do like a year mm-hmm. where they just observed and learned and went to home births because it's such a different, you have to learn birth that way. And I think that there's so many levels of separation within the hospital that you can Unless you're being really, you know, there are people that are really proactive about trying to learn about, you know, trying to to improve and learn and and develop sensitivity to the birth process. But if if you're not actively seeking that out, it's not going to come to you. Right. No, and I say so. that to my OB friend, like they need a rotation the residents yeah. at a birth center. Like, why are they not <laughs> going to a birth center? And she's like. Like, this is some shocking idea. And I'm like, it seems really sensible to me because they don't see enough unmedicated births in a hospital setting. You just don't. Yeah. don't. Um, yeah. And if they do, the hospitals we work at where there are students, um, you know, med students and residents, they like are screaming, hurry up. Yeah. We've got an unmedicated one. You're going to have to see this. You know, like yeah. it's some freak occurrence. Yeah. And it's totally, typically not planned. It's, oh, yeah. yeah. The mom's pissed like, off. Yeah. The mom's like, I want an epidural. Yeah. It's too late. Yeah. And so it's, they're not getting, the, yes, it's a natural birth in respects of no pain meds, but it's not necessarily typically a planned. <laughs> I was right. with a friend. And I was with a friend so much- and she delivered like that. And it was not her plan. And it was, it was just. I just sat there with my mouth wide open and I was. Well, and she's going to be traumatized. You know, yeah, she, very because... much so. Because her first, like she went in, it was totally medicalized. She didn't feel it. She, went, she pushed, the baby came out. Like this one was like, he just turned 17 yesterday. <sighs> and I just, I'll never forget it. Because she just was just, I'm like, you have to breathe. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, D- like I for my own birth, that's what I felt like. Just regardless of. I don't remember like three breaths in all the, it's just that thinking about the breath made it less com- like uncomfortable. 
And I just remember her looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, you have to breathe, you know? Yeah. And it was. Yeah, sure I mean, those people that. that have the precipitous births, those like really, really mm-hmm. like fast and then done. Like you have to like think about, it can take somebody 20 hours to do the same amount of work. Yeah. So if you're thinking about like in other areas, like you still have to do the same amount of work. It's just, if the time is condensed, the right. intensity goes up. Yeah. And so- I mean, I don't say that to, to like scare anybody or, but like, yeah, if you're a medical provider and the only natural births you see are precipitous births from people who weren't expecting to do a natural labor, you're not getting like the full, the full like experience. Yeah. 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 I was at the Washington state obstetrical association meeting this year and I had a little booth, um, and there were a couple of OBs that told me they did do home birth rotations in their oh, training. They awesome. were both um, See, at West Coast, like, yeah, at the end of their career. But I was like, this is like amazing. It was so cool. And they had a lot to share about. And one of them had actually done a home birth with their own child, which was like so cool. so cool. Um, wow. yeah. yeah. I just had a, a family yesterday who was, she's an L&D nurse at a local hospital, was planning a home birth. She, yeah. she went into labor early and so she wasn't able to have that but she really advocated for herself and I just thought how cool that she's she's like I felt very comfortable having a home birth yeah yeah birth isn't that scary if you know like like yes there's uncertainty in the process yeah. but I mean it's also there's a, also a lot of predictability and, and a lot of it too when you when you have the right knowledge mm-hmm. one uh we have another podcast I think I mentioned um with doulas they're local doulas to us and they're two black women who support mm-hmm. other black women and it's through a group that um covers the cost they get they get paid by this company to do it and um mm-hmm. so i was wondering are there resources in your area available to maybe families who are on um public assistance or on uh, have to have Medicaid as insurance and maybe can't afford your resource. Yeah. Or service. yeah, absolutely. There is, um, there's, there's a, a nonprofit Swedish, the Swedish doula group, which is confusing because there's like the Swedish hospitals, which have doulas at their hospitals. Um, and then there's the Swedish doula group. I forget I think they're just called the Swedish doulas, but they do some nonprofits. And a lot of us do offer sliding scales. Um, I know for me, I will take on one or two clients a year that are either pro bono or um, pay what you can. And I think most of the doulas around here do that. So if you're like looking at packages and you're like, I really can't afford a doula, reach out, reach out to me. I'll help find somebody. And I also know like when I was a new doula, I didn't charge anything. Or, you know, because I'd had to go do my, like, births to get experience. And so if you reach out to a doula in your area, they'll know who to reach out to or how to find those people if you're open to having somebody that's new or training or earlier on in their career where they might be able to fit in your price range. So there's a lot of options for people who, like, look at that number and think, like, Ah. that's really unrealistic. We care about you. Um, We really want everybody to have doulas and there's a lot of resources in Seattle. Nobody should have to go without a doula um, for price because there's so much support. So reach out if you need anything. That's if you're great. here. Yeah. Um, 
Is there anything else you would like to add? <laughs> oh, um, I guess is this like the the goodbye where I get to tell everybody my last words of wisdom and all of that? Yeah. Unless there was my... anything else we didn't touch on that you wanted to hit. <laughs> I would just say that um, birth is like one of the most transformational times in our lives. And I think that you know, the thing that I learned from my experience is that it, it deserves its time and respect in, in our calendars as far as preparing and also that you can do it. Like the body is built to give birth and you do have like internal, your body also will help you deal with the cope with the pain if you learn how to like yeah. kind of like unlock that part of you. Um, there's like a part of you that already knows how to deal with labor. And so if you're taking a childbirth class, you're really just you know, unlocking the things that help you do what you're meant to be able to do. Um, if you want to follow me, I'm on, just on Instagram. It's She Births Bravely. I have a fun quiz on my website. What does your personality say about your birth? Pl- uh, what wait? What does your birth plan say about your personality? Um, which is a great place if you're thinking about like, well, how do I navigate these conversations with my care providers? It will help kind of point out like. This is who you are. This is what you might need to communicate. These are the things like, these are the things That's you should great. know. That is great. Uh, which is fun. And then I also have a childbirth course where if you're like, I want my 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 childbirth prep done, it takes you through everything you need. It's a very holistic approach with nutrition and movements and natural labor and then specific sections for like how you change for epidural births and things like that as well. So it's, yeah, thank you. No, that's wonderful. I think, you know, you reminded me of me. Don't take that as (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. No, I take that as a compliment. (laughs) But it's just like, you know, you found a passion for something. You start. This is what I'm doing. You see a further need. You develop it. You see that this would benefit the parent. You develop it. I love how you did all that. So it's it really encircles everything. So I think it's wonderful. So, again, tell us your website. It's shebirthsbravely.com. And your Instagram? Same thing, shebirthsbravely. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Susie. Maybe we'll have you back another time. And um, this is the Breastfeeding Resource Center's podcast, Feeding Frenzy, okay. with Louisa Brandenberger and Colette Acker. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Feeding Frenzy. The BRC is a nonprofit organization committed to providing expert clinical and educational breastfeeding services. Find out more about us at breastfeedingresourcecenter.org.